Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.、A、laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah,、oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Stratton Rushing. I wrote this week's episode, "Ain't the Biggest City," and you're listening to Gather by the Ghostlight. Good day, everyone. This is Gather by the Ghostlight Original Stories for Radio Theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And welcome back, and many thanks for all the recent reviews and the five star ratings. And also a special shout out to listeners Robert Hulse, Scott Sickles, and John Busser. Thank you all for your support and your generous donations to this podcast. And all you guys out there, make sure you're following Gather by the Ghostlight on social media because we still have more weekly giveaways coming up that will lead us right into our first live event taking place on October 21st at Le Chat Noir Theater in Augusta, Georgia. You can get your tickets to that at GatherbyTheGhostlight.com. And here's a little heads up on next week's giveaway. We're gonna have some cool swag to give away from our sponsor, Next Stage Press, as well as an annual membership to the New Play Exchange. So, if you write plays, if you like reading plays, this one is for you. So keep a lookout on social media next week for those two giveaways. And now, let's dive into today's story. This one is a world premiere of a new play. It was written by Texas-based playwright Stratton Rushing. Mr. Rushing has won several honors and awards for his playwriting, and his work has been published in the Silk Road Review, Smith and Kraus, among others. And today, you're going to hear his newest play called "Ain't the Biggest City." You're about to meet Lane Hernandez. She's an EMT in Del Rio, Texas, who recently witnessed the death of an inmate at the county jail. When she's brought in for questioning, secrets are revealed regarding the inmate's suspicious death. But when the city you live in ain't that big, it's easy to keep those secrets hidden. Now, before we begin, I do want to warn you that this story does contain crime scene descriptions pertaining to murder and suicide, which may be sensitive subjects to some listeners. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back, and enjoy. This is "Ain't the Biggest City," written by Stratton Rushing. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer and the voice actors. Good morning, Mrs. Um. 
I'm sorry. You can just call me Lane. Lane. I'm Officer McAllen. Thank you for coming in this morning. I'm glad to help. You're an EMT on the city ambulance. Yes. How long you been doing that? About a year. You're not originally from here, are you? No. We moved to the Rio for this job. I'm from Odessa. Had any trouble getting to know folks around here? Um, I don't think so. I'm sorry, but is that pertinent to the investigation? No, not at all. It's just... Well, the other officers and I, we know most of the folks who work the ambulance. Obviously, we see them when we respond to calls, and well, when I asked about you, seemed like nobody really knew who you were. I don't get out much outside of work. My son is four, and, you know. Keeps you pretty busy. He does indeed. All right, Lane. I won't waste your time. I just have a few questions. Do you remember the call from last Thursday? The one here? At the jail. Uh, The jail across the way, yeah. Yep. Wouldn't be easy to forget that one. Walk me through it. Well, we got called to the jail. Uh, It was just me and one of the other EMTs, Ramirez. Have you talked to him already? Yes, ma'am. We talked to Jamie yesterday. Well, I guess you already know then. We got called to the jail around 3 a.m. because an inmate had tried to hang himself. An officer who saw the inmate hanging suffered from a mild heart attack from the shock. Uh, Once we got there, Ramirez helped the officer. I went into the cell to tend to the inmate. So you were in the cell alone with the inmate? Briefly. Was that scary? He was barely alive by the time we got there. Did you know the inmate? Before I treated him? Yeah. No. Why would I? Del Rio ain't the biggest city. I'd known him for years. Well, I didn't know him personally, and I'm glad I didn't. Then I guess it's safe to say you knew of the inmate before. Guess so. How? Jamie didn't tell you all of this when you talked to him? I'd like to hear it from you, Mrs. Hernandez. (laughs) Earlier you made it seem like you didn't know my name. What did you know about the inmate before you went in to save him? I think his name was Leo, but Johnston was his last name, I think. A few days before he hung himself, we answered a call at his residence in the Lone Star Trailer Park. His girlfriend had called in saying she was worried about her son. Her five-year-old had been staying with him while she was at work, so she wasn't there. But he was still inside when the officers arrived. The officers arrived and arrested Johnston. Then the ambulance was called. To try to help the child. Of course, we just ended up taking him to the morgue. Yeah. You were on that call, correct? I was. So you know how Johnston killed the boy? Strangled him with a bathroom towel. So it is safe to say you were very much aware of who Mr. Johnston was and what he had done before you went into that cell to save his life. So what happened? Did you give him CPR? No. Wouldn't that have been standard procedure? He did still have a pulse. Have you ever had to give CPR to someone? No, ma'am. I have. More times than I can count. As soon as I saw Johnston, I knew the only chance we had at saving him was by using a defibrillator. I focused on getting him into the ambulance to restart his heart that way. It's interesting that you mention that. Because the autopsy on Johnston's body seems to indicate he didn't receive any shocks from a defibrillator. I drove the ambulance once we picked him up. I wasn't in the back. 
So I don't know what Jamie did to him after we loaded him up. Well, you see, this is where things get awfully blurry to me. Jamie's version of events say that you went into that jail cell to give him CPR. He also told me you said you failed to revitalize him. Okay, wait. Oddly enough, Texas state law stipulates once CPR is commenced, the EMTs must continue to give it to the patient until they reach the hospital. And of course, you know that. So why did you stop? I'm leaving. Uh, No need for all that, Mrs. Hernandez. You aren't being charged with anything. Lane, why do you think I called you in? Have you ever heard the saying, if a cop asks you something, it's because they already knew the answer? I think that saying applies more to a teenager hiding weed in their car than a real investigation. I know that you stood there and watched Leo Johnston die in that room, right over there. Every cell has a camera. We have the footage. First degree manslaughter at best. Every last bit of it on tape. Were you on the Johnston call? Officer McCallan? No. I was the one who had to pick up that five-year-old boy's body. I was the one who had to carry him. I was there. So, you'd like for me to look the other way? If you had half a heart and an ounce of courage, you would have done the same thing I did. I don't know how you knew him before or who he was to you. I don't care. Johnston wanted to die. Any sane person who knew what he did would have wanted him to die. Lane, there's something you want from me. You want me to erase that tape. Think about it. If I was some self-righteous asshole who wanted to ring you up on manslaughter charges for allowing a baby killer to finish his suicide, why would I have even called you in to talk? Why wouldn't I have just arrested you? I already have all the evidence I need. I don't know. You're the loose end, Lane. Me, Jamie, every officer on the Johnston call, and everyone else have our story straight. The problem is, you are still the new kid on the block. I don't understand. The boy. You know his name, right? They said it was Joshua. His murder case is still open. We'll be turning over all the evidence to the DA soon. But before we do that, we'd like to make sure every EMT who was there agrees. Joshua's mother was in the house when the boy was killed. But she wasn't. You don't think so? Because she could have been. In fact, respected local EMT Jamie Ramirez and everyone else agrees she was actually there. The police report says she was there. We even have testimony from a neighbor that says she was there. And if you happen to agree with all of them, well, then I figure we can have that tape of you in the jail cell erased. Why do you want me to say she was there? Helps. Helps our case for the charges we're about to press on her. Accessory to murder. Neglect of a child. This woman just lost her son. What are you hoping to gain here? The same thing you were looking for when you watched Leo Johnston die. I'm looking for that little bit of justice, and if not that, the next closest thing I can make happen. She wasn't the one who killed that boy. You can say she wasn't, but she left him there. She knew who Leo was, but let him stay with him. He had a rap sheet, used to beat his ex-wife. Did you know that? No. The child's grandmother didn't know where he was. None of us knew until Joshua turned up dead. 
So the way I see it, she might as well have killed him herself. That is why I want to charge her. So, do we have a deal? You just admitted to me that you're planning an illegal conspiracy to lock someone up. You might see it that way, but I see it as strengthening a case to make sure things go the right way. What's to stop me from telling the DA or someone higher what's going on here? Well, that's all fine and dandy if you want to do that, Mrs. Hernandez. But deep down, we both know you want to keep yourself out of trouble. Look, you're not selling your soul to have the tape erased, Lane. You're helping a good cause. If you weren't on the initial Johnston call, why did they give the case to you now? The case isn't mine. Not actually. I figured this went without saying, but this conversation isn't exactly an official investigation on the books. But if everyone is in on this, why are you the one talking to me? You recognize that name on the report? Myra McCollin... McCollin? Your sister? Sister-in-law. Former sister-in-law. She started dating Leo after my brother died. So that means Joshua was... Yeah. I'm sorry. Del Rio ain't that big. I never had any children of my own. That kid meant the world to me. Especially after his dad passed. I tried to do what I could. You told me you have a son, so maybe you'll have some idea where I'm coming from. I wasn't there to save him. When he needed me the most, I, I, sh I should have, and I wasn't. One day, I'm going to see that little boy up in heaven. And when I do, I want him to know I did everything I could to make this right. He has to know someone cared, even if it was too late. It still means something. So just like that? Do we have a deal? The red sun rose this morning Dark skies pronounce your Ain't the Biggest City, written by Stratton Rushing. It was performed by Adelis Rivera as Lane Hernandez and Chris Bailey as Officer McCallan. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. So with us now is the writer of the story you just heard. He's the winner of numerous playwriting awards with plays that have been published in the Silk Road Review, Apricity Magazine, The Ponder Review, and Smith and Krauss. He holds a degree in theater and philosophy from the University of Texas Arlington and an MFA in dramatic writing from Arizona State. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Stratton Rushing. How are you, sir? Good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. So uh, for people out there that aren't familiar with your work, tell us a little bit of everything about you and how you got into this playwriting world. Yeah. I um, So I'm unsurprisingly, based on what you just heard, I'm from the middle of nowhere in West Texas. Um, I love my home. I was just there this weekend, actually. Uh, it's called Sonora. Whole county has less than 4,000 people in it. Real rural. Uh, grew up in a, you know, was one of 70 in my graduating class, that whole shebang right i uh, moved to dallas on uh, my early you know like college basically and then was in phoenix for grad school and now i'm back in the dallas area um and so yeah i uh i got my start you know i always did the school play and it was always i think my my idea you know when i was like 13 14 i was just absolutely convinced that i was gonna you know just be a high school theater teacher because i kind of thought that's all theater was right and uh, I still, you know, it's not like I would be opposed to doing that. I, you know, I love uh, education and I love teaching, but um, I, I ended up discovering playwriting kind of on a whim. I used to just kind of, you know, I would go and um, skip class and read from the very small script library in the theater. And I would often steal scripts and sometimes return them. Um, we had a little green room, which was basically just a old worn out couch. And I would just lay down there. Um, and I think what made me want to be a playwright, I saw a production of Streetcar Named Desire when I was 16, it was a college production at Texas State, which is like three hours from my hometown, but they bust us out there for a field trip. And I think Tennessee Williams, man, something about just being a kid from a small town, Tennessee Williams taught me what a play could be. I'm from the Southwest. Uh, something about streetcar specifically really kind of spoke to me. And it was just, I don't know, it was all downhill from there. I got the bug. I couldn't stop. Um, you know, I people are often very surprised when I say this, but I've been doing this playwriting thing for like 10 years, man. Like, but but it, it was a learning process, right? Like the first full length play I wrote when I was an 18 year old kid was utter garbage. Of course it was right. Like it would be weird if it wasn't. Um, and I don't know. I just really like it. I don't um, I don't really know what else to say beyond that. I think that on some level, I like to write about my community and where I'm from, because there's not a whole, whole lot of plays about like the rural Southwest that I think encapsulate like, you know, near the Texas, Mexico border. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I like to write about, speak to me. Right. So whenever I write an artist statement, I'm sure you know this feeling too. Sometimes you want to write an artist statement and you're like, Oh, that doesn't really capture everything I do, but you know. Yeah. Uh, now I, I kind of want to touch on you teaching because when we first connected, uh, you you had reached out to me and you you said that um, I guess you were teaching a class and you had your students listen to one of my episodes uh, for a, a horror writing class, Lindsay Partain's uh, Monsters Beyond the Midnight Zone. I guess I had just released it around that time. Uh, so as far as your teaching, I'm first off, I'm grateful that that you used my material. <laughs> 
for your class for your uh, for them to listen to. And I, I guess you made them write a report on it. I don't know what you did, um, but what what was uh, what was that like when you did that? As far as your teaching goes, I should definitely just like find the emails of the students that took that class and send them this and be like, aha, there you go, right? Um, that should get a kick out of that. Yeah, it's um, so I was uh, I got my MFA from Arizona State. I was teaching a class on writing for horror. It was sort of a guinea pig class. It was the first time we had done that. And the reason, I mean, first off, I guess I could say this. I'm a longtime Ghostlight fan. This is very fun for me being here. Um, Awesome. Thank you. Really great. Uh, I think that, you know, just independent audio theater is such an interesting and cool place to kind of play and work on stuff. And I mean, I thought I was saying this before we started recording, but frankly, I don't think anybody is doing it the way Ghostlight's doing it. Uh, You guys are it's really high quality stuff. Um, and I'm just, I was very happy you, you know, were interested in my stuff, but, um, why I picked monsters beyond the midnight zone by Lindsay Partain. And we were talking about this a little bit before, uh, it's just a really great example of sort of Lovecraftian cosmic horror. I think what she does playing with a sense of mystery is really special in that piece. And it kind of made teaching cosmic horror easy because my students immediately understood why that place, like why that play was just perfect for radio. Right. And I, and I think some plays just work better for radio. Um, and so, yeah, that, you know, I, first off, listeners, if you're hearing this and you're like, what are they talking about? Go listen to that episode. Come back. OK, and then you're going to know what I'm talking about, because it's just great writing. It's really good. So let's talk about the play that everyone just heard. Um, it's called Ain't the Biggest City. And from what I understand, this is a very new play. Uh, when you sent it to me, it wasn't even on New Play Exchange. So not many people had read it. Um, so this was kind of like a world premiere for everyone. So what made you want to write this play? And I, I, one, one of the things I love about it are the unexpected turns, just the, the way the story unfolds. Uh, so, so what is it that made you want to write this play? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a weird sort of trajectory that this piece took. I actually wrote a very early, very sloppy draft of it two years ago um, because there's a, um, I don't know how, I guess a, it's a, competition i guess it's like um it's just for mfas right it's called theater masters it's put on by samuel french it's a big 10 minute play thing and you know it's out of a pool of about 70 you know all the eligible mfas from various selected programs compete and i never got into it but you know i don't have to feel that bad because i'm sure there was some very stiff competition right so i wrote this my first year for that and then it was one of those things where i just kept on sort of revisiting it and I know it's only 10 minutes, but I, I just never really felt like it was done, right? It didn't get into that. And then American Lives Theater up in Indianapolis was going to do a version of it uh, sometime around 2021. And then there were some COVID concerns with that production. So they ended up scrapping it. And then it just never really happened again. Like Dragon Productions up in California, who recently just shut down, unfortunately, after like 15 years, they did it for their Dragon Egg series. So there was like a Zoom reading where I got to really see all the mistakes I had made with this play like about a year ago. And then I just, I never really put it up on MPX and I really felt like it was ready. And then I did a rewrite of it a while back where I feel like I really kind of hit that balance of crime drama and, you know, everything that I had kind of been shooting for in the earliest draft. And now I feel like it's finally ready. Right. So that was why I sent it to you when we were kind of talking about the possibility of me doing a ghost light. Cause I was like, Hey, this one's always kind of at the one, it felt like it fit the show. Uh, and it felt like it fit radio, but also it just, it, it always felt like it wasn't ready. I don't know why. It just felt like it needed a little more love than my other one acts in 10 minutes. So, so that was the trajectory for this piece. Um, writing it specifically, this kind of came from a time when I was first, you know, about 
three years ago now when I was first dipping my toes into sort of writing very specifically like rural West Texas plays. Brother um, ran the EMS in my hometown in Sutton County for a very, very long time. And at the time, that was very, you know, a, a woman running an ambulance system sort of being the head EMT in a rural area. It was pretty rare. And the stories that she had, man, like I know that legally, once you start giving CPR, at least at one point, you know, you have to keep on doing it until they get to the hospital because you have to just keep going, even if you know they're dead, right? Like just little things like that were sort of things she'd said from just some of the, I don't know. I mean, these are her her stories to tell, but it, I trust me, working on an ambulance during the oil field bust in West Texas in the 80s, like it's some crazy stuff. So um, that was sort of it. This was, a, uh, you know, some parts of this were loosely based on like stories of stories I'd heard of like weird corruption, old West justice of sorts. And I was like, well, that sounds like a crime drama. Right. So again, the early drafts of it were, were not very good. Um, but eventually I think I found who these characters were and, you know, kind of trying to leave the audience with questions, which I hope, I hope comes through. Um, by the way, Chris and I, at least really great performances, both of you, it was, uh, I, I got to listen to it and it was just, you guys knocked it out of the park, man. Those were the voices I heard in my head when I was writing it. I just, I felt like it all came together. I couldn't have, I have no notes. It was great. Really, really good job. Thank thank you so much. And I'll actually, since they're here, let's get y'all's first impressions. When I first sent you the script, when you read, uh, so for Adelise, when you read the character Lane, how did you go into preparing for that character? And what, what, what did you think about the script overall? Yeah, well, I was going to say to Stratton, uh, it was easy (laughs) because I felt the same way, but opposite. Like I felt reading the script, I could hear Lane as soon as I was reading it the first time. So then I did a a little bit more work with it, like what are her motivations? But as I was reading the script initially in the first run, I was like, I I can hear this person. I kind of know this person. (laughs) Um, So that that's a testament to the writing. Um, And uh, yeah, I guess I just, uh, I read it a couple of times, try to look uh, look up kind of like the general area where where this would take place. And it to be honest, the, the last little twist kind of took me by surprise. So then I was trying to forget it <laughs> so I could portray the first couple of the couple of beats on the on the script without giving it away. Yeah, so <laughs> you were amazing. I loved everything you did. You were just so, so perfect for that. Um, now, Chris, you played Officer McAllen. Um, tell us your process with uh, going into the character for that. And what was your first impression of the of the script when when you first read it? Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of Sam Shepard and Tracy Letts. And and this kind of had that sort of feel to me that that out west, you know, um, uh, maybe a bit secluded, maybe a bit more um, rural area uh and uh and yeah i, I love the characters I, I, this this whole that, that whole atmosphere is, is is wonderful and um and yeah i'm not to lie uh i kind of kind of recycled my killer joe from about 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah the uh the theater i work at just did a production of superior donuts and i wrote a i wrote sort of a dramaturg's note about the play and I, I wrote a little bit about Killer Joe. And I think that's something that's cool about Tracy's work is I feel like you can just really put yourself in the space. Like you're like, oh, in Superior Donuts, you're in uh, north the north side of Chicago. And Killer Joe, you're in Mesquite. Like there's something about it. So that's that's a big compliment to me to be compared to him. Thank you for that. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Now I can hear it. Like now that you pointed that out, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Similar role. Yeah. Speaking of the theater you're currently at, you're the director of sales and marketing at the theater Arlington. Is that is that right? Yes, theater Arlington. So like this exact week, which by the time this releases, that'll be you know like tomorrow. But um, this exact week we are a 50th anniversary gala, which is huge, right? Um, I mean, you know, working at a small professional theater company, there's always um, there's always challenges. You know, you got to wear multiple hats at once, but it's awesome, man. And it's a great role for someone who, you know, is a playwright to have. I get to write about plays. I get to, you know, make phone calls to try to help make plays happen. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm very, it's, I mean, I can't tell you what my day to day is like, cause it's always different. You're right, you know, you're it's right. a very, uh, and I've been doing this about five months now, I think I've been in this job and it's, it's been a huge blessing. I really, really enjoyed working there. Is, uh, is rural America, is that kind of like what you focus on when you're when you're writing plays? Because I've looked at a lot of your stuff on the New Play Exchange, and a lot of it does seem set. I think so, which is tremendously hypocritical because I live in the Dallas area now, which is like the fourth biggest metro area in the U.S. So my, my fiance always says, you're a city boy now. And I'm like, you take that back. Um, <laughs> no, I, mean, I think I do. I think I do. It's... Um, and I think that I really kind of found my voice as a writer when I started moving in that direction, specifically writing rural Texas, because, you know, I don't know necessarily what it's like to be from Iowa. I feel like I would have to do a bit more research to really knock that out of the park. Right. But um, yeah, I think so. I think that I'm doing my best work when I'm writing about, you know, folks from towns like I grew up in, because by all accounts, you know, I don't think boys from Sutton County are meant to grow up to be playwrights. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's normal, but I did it so here i am um i was curious to know if you since you you mentioned you started to write this about two years ago did you know from the get-go uh the last twist of the play um or did you kind of find that as you kept writing and rewriting <laughs> yeah i uh so the reveal was always there that um you know the frame job and everything that happens um the reveal was always there but it was bad right it was not well executed and now that i know a little more <laughs> about how to write a good twist how to sprinkle it throughout how to have hints and stuff um that that's so yes it was always there uh one thing that i think is you know might be interesting to listeners is that the final twist um i guess the final cliffhanger if you will right whether or not lane makes the choice i had written versions where she agreed and she disagreed and eventually i realized holy crap it's the end of the play let's just leave it you know, the way like, what the hell am I doing writing the play with an ending that's better if it doesn't have one? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I took the long way to get to that. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is the version that was it was kind of always meant to be. So I hope, I hope that answered the question. Well, when we first started talking about doing this play, that was one of the things I asked you is that because in the <laughs> stage play version you sent me, um, it says that she starts to answer the question and the lights go black. And yeah. I was like, I don't know if I can convey that. In audio, I was like, well, what are the options here? And then as I was editing it, I was like, I found that that song. So I got the license rights to it. And I was like, man, that is perfect. That's like, as soon as he asked, do we have a deal? Kick into that song. It, it's so cinematic. And it just, it worked out so well. Chris, did you have anything you wanted to add in on that? No, man. Great play. Love doing premieres. Uh, always feel honored to be a, a part of any of anything Jonathan's doing. He's got good taste in, in playwrights, being a good playwright himself. And uh, man, I look forward to your next project. I, I want to. I can't. I want to read the rest of your stuff. Man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, uh, Stratton, you're on the New Play Exchange. So th this is kind of a moment. I want you to give a shout out to a new PX writer out there, MPX writer out there. 
you know, who should we have on the podcast next? Who's your favorite up and coming writer that's on the new play exchange? There's a big, there's a big issue here because a lot of I know. All right, are, let me just say who's who's one of your favorites. I don't want to say your favorite because <laughs> then you're going to get a bunch of messages and emails from all the people you uh, didn't. A lot of I will start off by saying. I love so many of you. You're awesome. You're great. Also, a lot of my best friends have already been on Gathered by the Ghost Light, so there's that. <laughs> um, I'm picking someone because he wrote one of my favorite horror plays. Um, my buddy Tyler Rossi. Check out his play Pyre as a as a horror snob myself. It's a really cool original piece about it's about witches. I'll leave it at that. And uh, Jonathan, if I'm you know giving a uh, sort of I don't know boat of confidence to a writer that I think probably has something that would work well, I think that uh, Tyler Rossi has got a lot of really good stuff. Awesome. I will definitely check him out, my man. Uh, so what do you have coming up? What, what do you want to plug? You have anything coming up that people can catch in a theater near them or anything like that? Yeah, no, no big full length productions happening in any one place. But from anywhere, if you're listening to this, you probably like radio theater. So you can go to strattonthepleright.com. I have some uh, stuff that you can stream for free. And the project I want to plug is it was actually my MFA thesis project. It was called Icaro, Texas. It is a radio play. It's about an hour long. Uh, Dane Futrell, really brilliant playwright. He plays the lead character and he's a good friend of mine. And that was a really cool project to get to do. And I hope people listen to it. So that that's the one thing I'll, the one project I'll plug. And you can follow me at strattonthepleright.com, see everything I have going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's where people can find you is at uh, Stratton play, strattontheplaywright.com. Is that? Yeah. All right. Yep. I the, thought it was you... real quirky and fun when I picked that domain. And now I'm <laughs> no, man, I love it. I love it. Uh, are you active on social media at all? Where people can oh, find you? No, and it's probably not a good thing for my career that I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm really not. I mean, if you look my name up, my name is so weird. If you look me up, you will find whatever, right? Um, but yeah, I do. I have a Twitter that I will hopefully, or an X, I guess it's supposed to be called now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have that. I have an Instagram, Stratton with one T, but you know, I'm not super active on either. But if you want to reach me, you know, you, my email is on my website. If you'd like to speak with me, email is a great way to do it. So there you go. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you uh, for letting us do this play. Keep creating, keep writing, keep doing all that cool shit you do. Um, and hopefully we'll uh, collaborate again in the future. And I really want to see Ain't the Biggest City on stage one day. I, I know if I if we can get it done locally here or if you got something going on, let me know, because I would just love to see that on stage. That's good to know. I appreciate it. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, too, want to see it on stage, obviously. So I can't. Uh, yeah, I would, I would love that. Uh, and just thank you for having me on. Like I said, I don't know if I'm the first person to come on and just kind of, you know, fanboy out about it. But I've been a ghost life fan for a couple of years now, and I really love the work you guys do. And yeah, it's really great. It's great to be a part of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Keep listening, my brother. <laughs> all right. Take it easy. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. And if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage, Send an email to gatherbytheghostlight at gmail.com or contact the playwright directly at his website, strattontheplaywright.com. And if you'd like to have some cool Gather by the Ghostlight merchandise, t-shirts are available in the merchandise link in the show notes, along with the year one and year two books, which are both also available at Amazon. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard, let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review in all the places that you can. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghost Light on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we gather by the Ghost Light. Thank you.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.